Great to see everybody. Thank you for the opportunity to share today. I don't preach all that much anymore. We have such a great lead pastor, Pastor Nathan. I enjoy listening to him. And we've been away, Tyler and I, for a few weeks. But uh, on the occasions that I've been preaching lately, and probably for a few more times, uh, I've been talking about God without religion, without all the different things that religion adds to it. And we've been talking about how really the New Testament is God pleading, especially the epistle, pleading with us to leave man-made religion behind us. And we Christians like to say, well, I'm not religious, I serve Jesus, but we can be quite religious even though we say that. And so in the previous teachings, I, I said that the gospel is like a delicious apple, you know, really fresh apple. You bite into it, it bursts with flavor, it's juicy. How many know what I'm talking about? That's the kind of golden, delicious apple that you would want. But then sometimes you may have bitten into such a delicious looking apple. And as you bit a little bit more, you felt something mushy, something rotten, something. Maybe there was a worm in there. And I say religion puts worms into the delicious apple called the gospel of Jesus Christ. So in these teachings, I've been trying to deworm your gospel apple because it is fantastic. And so today I'm going to do that. I'm going to talk about a word that I have never in my life ever spoken about in a whole message. It's a word I didn't like the word. I found it boring. Frankly, if I would have fallen asleep on my own sermon, I suppose, if I preached it a few years ago. I'm going to talk about predestination which is a wonderful truth. But religion has twisted it. It is a word that's only mentioned four times in the entire Bible, but yet it has divided entire churches for centuries. It's caused feuds. And I submit the popular, the most common definition of this word predestination, it can also cause pride Arrogance, spiritual pride, rejection, condescension. And, and the popular definition of predestination, which is not the one I'm teaching, but it's the popular one. The common one is that God, before we were born, he predetermined who would be saved and who would not be saved. We don't know according to those who proposed this, exactly who was pre-chosen and who was not. But God determined certain people will go to heaven, certain people will go to hell. And the discussion goes like this. Somebody might say, well, the Bible says, and you know, people are so sure that they got it right. The Bible says that God just predetermines, he predestines people, that's the way it is, so deal with it. And then somebody else says, well, we're not robots. We have a choice. It says whoever will believe. But then the discussion goes back and forth and it settles somewhere in the middle where somebody says, well, I guess God chose us and that made us choose God. And so that's the way it is. And nobody really understands how it all worked out. But the end result is the same. Uh, some have been pre-chosen for heaven, some for hell. This is a horrible idea. It's called in theological language the doctrine, or I call it the error, of unconditional selection. 
one of the top writers in this field, uh, says that God reaches randomly into the scum. That's what they call people. I don't call you that. God doesn't call you that, but some theologians do. The scum of humanity and just randomly chooses some for heaven and some for hell. Now, you may have heard of this, but it's a very dominant way of thinking. Many, many churches, hundreds of churches in Toronto and in Canada, thousands subscribe to this. They usually don't preach on Sunday morning. They teach it in their Bible schools because uh, it would turn many, too many people off if you really taught that on Sunday morning, so they kind of hide it, but it's behind it. It's, it's, a, it's a teaching that, that God has predetermined. For example, many things in history have been justified this. For example, though there were many preachers who supported slavery, many preachers who otherwise may have said some good things, they supported slavery. And they're their argument was, well, God has just determined, predestined, that some should serve others. Oppression of women have been supported by this. Women shouldn't have a right to vote, they said 150 years ago. Some preachers said it, but because God has predetermined, he's predestined, that voting is not something that pertains to women. And that God has chosen, sometimes it refers to nations. God has chosen this nation, not chosen another nation. Even today, there are several nations in the world who, who you will, in their, they mix politics and they consider themselves specially chosen. And uh, so that is what that is. This is the theology of what we call the Reformed churches, Presbyterian churches, by and large, subscribe to this and others. So it's a very large theology. Some of your favorite preachers subscribe to this doctrine of unconditional selection. And of course, everybody thinks, but I'm one of the selected ones. <laughs> and it kind of it can be like when somebody in your family says, well, Uncle Billy doesn't seem like he's really open to the gospel. Oh, well, maybe he's not one of the elected ones. Or, you know, there are not very many Christians in such and such a nation. I guess that nation isn't really selected. So, you know, you can see the arrogance, the idea that comes into that. Some popular preacher take it as so far as to say that if a bridge collapses and 16 cars fall to the, into the river and 25 people died, oh, God predetermined that. Nothing happens without God having decided. They never complain about the engineering of the bridge. It was, all, it was, it was God. So this can be used in many ways. Now, actually... Predestination is a wonderful thing. And not the one I've described, but what the Bible teaches about it is wonderful. So are you ready to go? Shall we have a good little Bible study? I'm not going to preach an inspiring sermon today, so don't get your hopes up. I'm just going to do a little Bible study. And I think it's going to excite you. So in Ephesians it says, verse 4, He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. I mean, that's a long time ago. That's before Adam and Eve. That's before the book of Genesis. God shows us. Everybody say, that's me. 
before the foundation of the world, uh, having predestined, this is one of the four times the word appears, having predestined us to adoptions as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. In other words, God is so pleased, God is so rejoicing that he has predetermined us, you, that you would be presented holy and blameless. This is before you had any failures, before all your disappointments, before you did the stupid things you did, <laughs> before any of that, God had predestined to present you holy and without blame before him. That, that's awesome. Now, but what about this word us? God shows us, because we all want to put ourselves included in the us. And, and I think that's right. I actually ask you to say that means me. But I want you to pay close attention as I read the Bible that there is a, here Paul is making a distinction between we and you in his writing. We or us and you. He makes a distinction. Pay attention as I keep reading. Verse 11, in him we also have obtained an inheritance being predestined. It's the second time the word is used. That we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. Those who first trusted in Christ, well, they were the Jewish believers. Uh, they were the disciples. We call them the apostles. They were the 70. They were the 500. They were the people in the gospels. There was Paul himself. So he's talking about we. We who first trusted in Christ. Other times when he talks about us and we, he's talking about all the Jewish people, all the ones who listened to the prophets. But then there's another group in that, this passage. It's a group he refers to as you. Look at the next verse, verse 13. In him you also trusted. He said, we trusted, but you also trusted. Who is he speaking to here? He's speaking to his audience, to the people in Ephesus. They were not Jewish. They were Gentiles. He's speaking to the rest of the world. He says, he said here, you also trusted after you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation. And having believed, you also were sealed with the Spirit. So he says, we had God's covenant. We, the Jewish people, and it'll be very clear that that is what he's referring to in a moment as we keep reading. We have had this, but you have also received the word of truth, all you non-Jewish people, all you Gentiles. And so he's saying, yes, God predestined to work through the Jewish nation, but all the rest of you, you are predestined too. You will notice here in all of this, Paul never, whether in Romans or Ephesians, ever referred to this as individuals. He's only ever talking about two people groups. Look at this. I'll read a little bit more and then I'll comment. Ephesians 2.1. You, now he's speaking to all those who are not Jewish, those in Ephesus, those Gentiles, in modern-day Turkey, those people, you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. And then he says, we all, we also, we, we Jewish people, we also once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh. It's not like we were perfect. We fulfilling the desires of, of the flesh and of the mind, and we're by nature the children of wrath just as others. So he says, we Jewish people, we just like everybody else. We sin too. And so he's speaking here about two distinct groups of people. 
He's not speaking of individuals. He's talking about that God has predestined. Predestination, predestination is about two groups. It's about the Jewish people. They were predestined to receive God's blessing. Salvation is of the Jews. Jesus was a Jew. The disciples were a Jew. But then the same blessing has been predestined for all you Congolese people and all you French and all you British and all you uh, Burundians and all you Ethiopians and all you Belgians. It's for the whole world. Come on now, get happy about that. And, and, and it's very clear, if you wonder if I'm just making this up, the Greek word here, you, is like you all. It's like you, we just traveled to Kentucky and Tennessee, Tana and I, but I always, you know, when I'm down there, I can kind of say it with a southern slur, but as soon as I cross the border to Canada, I lose my southern pronunciation, you all. He says, you all, all you world, all you are included in this. And then he says, I'm just reading the Bible. Remember, verse 11, that you once Gentiles by birth. You were not Jews, you were Gentiles. You belonged to the, to the you group, the other group. That at that time you were without Christ, aliens from Israel, and strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you, all you, wherever you are in the world, you all, you were once so far off, you have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Now, we all have a tendency when we read the Bible, and it is a good tendency in many ways, that we read it very individualistically. So you say, we put our name in there. God so loved Peter. God so loved uh, Elena, God so loved Ebenezer. And that's good, right? God so loved you, Michael. <laughs> no, you weren't Michael. <laughs> that was the other guy. Hey, God so loved you, right? You, but but so, so we read it. That's good. But you know, in this context, it's not speaking just to you as an individual. It's speaking to a distinct people group, those who were not Jewish. They were aliens, to the prophets. They didn't know about Isaiah and Jeremiah and all that. They were uncircumcised. They were afar off. But all of you, God has also predestined that you would be included. And then he says in verse 14, he himself is our peace who has made both groups into one. Both groups. He's talking about groups here. There is not a hint anytime when the Bible teaches in Romans or Ephesians about predestination, that it refers to that over there in Ephesus, you know, there's some people living on that street and God hasn't selected them for salvation. He selected them for hell. And then there's another guy living over here. He selected, to, it's, not, it's not talking about individuals being selected. It's talking about that God predestined to send salvation through the Jewish people. And now he has predestined the Gentile world to be included in the same covenant. That's the context of it. But the Jewish people didn't like that, just like some people don't like it today. So, well, no, no, we don't like that. We don't like to include those dirty Greeks. We, we don't want to include those dirty Romans. We want to have it all for ourselves. Mine, mine, mine. It all belongs to me. But you see, what we have belongs to the world. And he said, so let me keep reading. And he broke down the barrier of the dividing wall, that in himself he might make the two into one new humanity, establishing peace and might reconcile them both to God through Jesus Christ. I abbreviate the verse a bit, not to take anything away from it. So, so here what we learn is predestination is not God choosing one individual and rejecting another before birth. 
It is about God desire that none would perish. He has included the whole world. So if you come from a background, or if you hear this because it's out there, major universities and colleges are established upon this kind of teaching of predestination that God has selected some for heaven, some for hell, and we don't know which ones they are, so we've got to keep evangelizing everybody. But, you know, just to... And there's all kinds of other additions to that. And no, predestination in Scripture is not about God picking one and then jumping over another one and say, so you can go to hell, and, uh, but you're pre-selected. No, it's about including the whole world. Hallelujah. And, but this idea of individual selection is like a worm that creeps into the sweet, delicious apple of the gospel. Makes people feel superior. Uh, and, and make people, the prejudices arise. I, I got a little movie clip that might help you since you have hardly been breathing since I started to speak. Uh, you're listening so intently. I want you to watch this little clip if they have it ready. Play it right now. You may recognize this. Hi. Hi. Did you want to see some brochures? <gasps> When Tula met Ian, she found her man. I just want to spend a little time with you. And he found yeah! her family. No one in my family has ever gone out with a non-Greek before. Oh! A respectful boy would come here and ask for my permission. May I please date your daughter? No! You invited the whole family? Yeah! We're going to be baptized tomorrow. Ian is a vegetarian. He doesn't eat meat. What do you mean he don't eat no meat? That's okay. I make lamb. My big fat Greek wedding. So, <laughs> what has this got to do with predestination? Well, a whole lot, actually. It's what Paul is addressing. You know, this was a very low-budget movie that nobody expected to do very well, but it hit a raw nerve because it dealt with human prejudice. And, and the main characters are Ian and Tula, and, uh, and the prejudice between the Greek and the English in this case. It was not really that her Greek family particularly disliked Ian. It was just that he was English and vice versa. And see, this is a good illustration multiplied by a thousand times what Paul was dealing with. It was abhorrent to these wonderful scribes and Pharisees who have been trying to serve God and be so religious. And suddenly Paul is saying, well, you know what? What Jesus has done, he's broken down any barrier between you and the rest of the world. You're, you're special, but the rest are just as special as you are. Yeah, you're special. You're the chosen people. They are also chosen. He's broken down the wall. And they said, no way. Can I date your daughter? No. No, you, you, you're, they would say, you're, you're Greek. We, 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 you don't cook right. You don't, you don't dress right. And, and, and so th this was the, the prejudice that Paul is dealing with. So he's arguing. He's arguing. But the strange thing is that some, and, and they represent millions of believers in North America, have taken this idea of this prejudice that the Jewish people had against non-Jewish people, and they had turned it into an individual selection that really puts a big prick into the beautiful balloon of the gospel and lets the air go out and say, well, some people aren't even supposed to be saved. 
So, you know, maybe if you've been talking to that relative of yours and they don't seem very receptive, well, they're probably not the one. They're probably one one of the ones predetermined for hell. What a horrible thought. Is that a message you want to go and preach? And yet millions of Christians in the United States and Canada believe that. And so I say predestination is about the reality spoken by the prophet that God has predestined the whole world to be included in his plan. This is predestination. God has predestined the Gentile world. It's only ever talking about Jews and Gentiles in the context. And so Paul is persuading. He's arguing with them. He's defending to the Jewish religious people who were a little bit bigoted. Come on now. And some religious people can be bigoted today. I could get a little yes on that. Some folks may be a little bigoted today. Be feeling like they're a little bit better than other people. He's arguing with them. And he's saying, and I put it on the PowerPoint, the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ demolished any spiritual difference between Jews and Gentiles, chosen people, and not chosen. There's no such thing, chosen, not chosen. No. God had to start working with some nation. He started with the Jewish nation. And now, guess what? It was for the whole world. That was prophesied all along. And uh, let me read some more. Uh, Ephesians 2.17. He came and preached peace to you who were afar off. That's the whole world. And to those who were near. That was to the Jewish people. For through him, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. So the Jewish people, they were the same bloodline as the prophets, you know, Obadiah and Micah and Amos and all of them. They had heard the prophecies. And so they had a little hard time to swallow this. That is for everyone. Some people have a hard time to swallow that still, even in our ministry. You know, we reach out without discrimination to Buddhists, to Muslims, to Hindus. We are preaching the gospel to all kinds of people. And some people say, what are you doing that for? Because everyone is included. And then it says in verse 19, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people. There it goes again. You all. You are all included. And to remove any doubt, he says, I'm reading you a lot of Bible here. He says in Ephesians 3, the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known. It has now been revealed by the Spirit that the Gentiles, all that's, that's all the non-Jewish people in the world, they would be fellow heirs with Israel and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. So God's predestination of the world to be included in his salvation plan, it was known a long time ago. It was planned before the foundation of the world. But to the Jewish people, even though their prophets said so, they said that the knowledge of the Lord would cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. Let me ask you, how much of the waters cover the sea? How much of the sea is covered by water? All of it. And in the same way, the knowledge of the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, shall cover the earth. The prophet had said it, but they they didn't see it. It was hidden to them. And so that's why I thought today to deworm. If that little worm has crept in into you, you know, it creeps into other areas. Whatever happens, you know, I said, some, some guy said to me, oh, I'm just waiting, sitting at home for God to send me my wife. It's all in God's control. It's all predetermined. I'm waiting for God to send me my wife. 
I said, well, that's not even scripturally right. This is he that, he that finds a wife. That means you'd be out there looking at least. But you, you see, people spiritualize this. It's all predetermined. Whatever happened, whatever happened. If there's an accident on the road, oh, it was supposed to happen. You see, the idea, and I put this, look at this, the idea of individual selection or exclusion. That God would say, you are predetermined for heaven, you're predetermined for hell, incriminates God's nature. It makes God look like a monster. God is compared with a father. What father would say, I'm going to have so many children and I'm going to leave half of them curbside on the winter in the snowdrift, and the other half I'm going to take care of. What earthly father would do such a thing? Should we think less of our heavenly father than we expect from our earthly father? I say not. And so that idea, it incriminates God's nature and reduces what Jesus Christ has done for the world. It makes us judgmental. In case to bring this home, for example, a little over a year ago, well-known preacher, uh, many of you would know his name, some not. The reason I know that some of you know his name because I've seen you post him on your Facebook. <laughs> so I know some of you know his name. He preached a sermon <laughs> and, uh, and uh, it, it, it sermon basically, I, I have the headline of it here, you can put it up there. He is, believes in unconditional selection. He believes in predestination. Some are predestined for heaven, some for hell. He said it's too late for America, but not for the elect. Look at the arrogance of that statement. So he's making himself a spokesman for all of America. And he's saying, it's too late for you. And the sermon was judgment. is You can't stop it. Even, even if you try to repent now, it's too late. You see what arrogance that breeds? But there's hope for the elect. So in, in this mass of Americans, and he was saying this was because of certain sins in America, and on the basis of what he said, those sins may be even worse in Canada. So what would he say of Canada? <laughs> Are you with me? But to some people, oh, that's radical. He's, he's telling it like, is it radical? Is that radical? Is it radical to say, listen, nation, it's too late to come to God? Is it radical, do you think? Some of you feel like, wow, that's, we need more like that. Is that how you feel? Is that Jesus? No, that is a product of believing in unconditional selection. So there's no hope for American he would say it based on the reasons why he said it. Even for Canada, it would be worse. There's no hope. Only for the elect. There'll be a few ones here that God has predetermined. But people who are not grounded in the gospel think that's radical. Oh, preacher, pastor. I wish our pastor would talk like that. I'm not saying that you say that. But come on, you can smile now a little bit. Are you with me? Are you, are you still there? Is, is that nice? Is that nice to say it's no time? And who do you think you are to stand up and speak on behalf of the Almighty that there's no time for any Americans or Canadians, for that matter, to repent? Who do you think you are? 
Maybe that's the greatest pride of all, the greatest sin of all, pride. Think that I have the right because obviously I'm one of the elect. I am chosen. So I can tell everybody where to get off. Silent night, holy night. Shall we sing? Are you still there? Aren't you glad that I don't preach every Sunday? You know, you just get this once in a while. Huh? What arrogance. What condescension. What speaking in the name of the Lord falsely. Where sin abounds, God's grace abounds even more. So if America is so sinful, if Canada is so sinful, let God's grace abound. Let us tell our nation, you are included. You are predestined to know the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you have the opportunity to say yes to that. Hallelujah. Amen. So, you know, I decided how much damage can I do in 45 minutes? That's all I have to preach. So I was, I was attempting to do both Ephesians and Romans. I said, if, I can't go there. It's too much. People will fall asleep. So I just took some objections. Are you, are you with me? I'm not, maybe on another Sunday I will do the whole, all this verses about this from Romans. I basically say the same thing. But there are a couple of objections people have raised. Romans 9, 13, there's a quote. Jacob have I loved, but Esau I've hated. See that, see that. Before Esau was born, God says he hated him. Now, first of all, you need to understand that the Bible speaks in hyperbole very often. Very often. Let, let me give you another hyperbole verse, and then I go back to that. Luke 14. If anyone comes to me, does not hate his father and mother, wife and children. So you're supposed to hate your father and mother according to this. But yet the Bible says, honor your father and mother. And your wife. I thought Paul said, love your wife as Christ loved the church. <laughs> and children. You're supposed to provide and brother and sister and his own life also. He cannot be my disciple. See, the Bible speaks in hyperbole. It's talking about as far as your commitment in life, if you get caught up in all these daily things and that's what you love and God is not there, it, 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 you cannot really be a disciple of Jesus. You see, when we in our English language use hyperbole, we understand it. But in the Greek and Hebrew, they use, for example, I could say about somebody, oh, that friend of mine, he can eat like a horse. But you say, well, Peter Youngren is a man of God. He says his friend eats like a horse. And you can make a whole theology out of that. Peter Youngren, the man of God, says that his friend has taken on the nature of a horse and he's eating only grass and he's not eating any. You, you could just make too much into that. Or I could say, you know, when we were coming down here today, it was raining cats and dogs. And a thousand years from now, somebody will say, uh, if, you know, if that would happen, you know, Peter Younger was a man of God. He said in his day, there were cats and dogs raining. I tell you, if he said that, bless God, if he said that it was raining like cats and dogs, there were cats and dogs coming out of the sky. You would all understand that's not what I'm saying. I'm not literally saying that cats and dogs are falling out of the sky. How many understand that? It's hyperbole. It's how we speak. It's like if I say he's hungry like a wolf. 
I'm not implying that you've taken on wolf nature. I mean, you're just kind of tearing into the stake. That's all I'm saying. Are you with me? And so the Bible speaks, it's a lot of Bible verses like that. And this is one of them. You see, and what, of course, Esau represents someone who rejects God's plan, treats it very unimportant. But if you read there, what he's talking about, God is saying, look at this. I can even set things up because I have decided to bring mercy to the whole world. And I decided it would be through Jacob, even though he's youngest, to show you that I can break the law and I can break the order of things to show you that this is for everybody. So in that context, yes, Jacob is the one that I've chosen, even though he's the younger one. And then God goes on to bless Esau. He prospers him, gives him land. And Paul is, why is he talking about that? To make the argument to the Jewish people. Look, God will do whatever it takes. He raises up Pharaoh, blesses him. But then, you know, if he wants to harden his heart to show his glory, he can even do that. Because God is going to have his way. It says in Romans 9.21, the same context. Does not the potter have the power over the clay from the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor? It doesn't say one vessel for destruction. It doesn't say one vessel for burning in hell. It says that, you know, in a kitchen you have, you have the good dishes and you have the not so good dishes. But you need them both. You have different vessels. And we have different callings. And then he goes on to say, all this happened because God plans to show mercy to all. And he finishes by saying, God says in Hosea, I will call them my people who were not my people and her beloved who was not beloved. And it should come to pass in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people. There they shall be called the sons of the living God. Oh, think about that. That means everyone is included. Let me prophesy this over you. It shall be said of that person in your family who lives on that street and in that apartment and in that place where you have said of him or her, that's not one of God's people. He is not open to God. He's not the open. It shall be said of such a person that he shall be called the son of the living God. Hallelujah. Oh, I'm getting excited now. That's how I feel. If there is a country, we'll be saying, well, in that place, uh, hardly anybody is a believer in Jesus. In that place, they are not God's people. Those people are not God's people. I say, well, in that place, in that place that you thought was so difficult and so harsh, in that place it shall be said of them, these are the children of God. Oh, take that to the bank. Take that to your family. Then, and then he finishes by saying, whoever believes on him, will not be put to shame. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek, between Ian and Tula, and African and South American, and Chinese and European. There's no distinction. For the same Lord overall is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So he, oh, he's saying, if you are Jewish people, 
He says, we too, we had done wrong. We had followed the lust of the flesh. We, we, were, we, we needed to be incorporated and adopted into Jesus. Jewish people. And if you're a Gentile, the rest of the world, you're not Jewish, you have the same blessing. You know, I'm going to go to Israel soon. It's, it's funny, sometimes there are people in Canada or United States or Europe, they think that if you're a Jew, you are closer to Jesus. You know, I, I, I preached in Messianic congregations in Israel, Tel Aviv, Jerusalem. It's always a funny thing. You have people sitting there, they have prayer shawl, they have a shofar. And I go up and say, hello, how are you doing? Where are you from? Oh, I'm from Finland. I'm from the UK. Are you Jewish? No. So but you're, you're dressed up in the full regalia. So then I say to the pastor, I said, do you have any Jewish believers? Anybody here born in Israel who got saved? Oh, yeah, look at those people over there. So I look at those. They're sitting in flip-flops and, and T-shirt and worn-out jeans. I said, those people, they're Jewish people. So it's kind of funny. So, so those are the Jewish believers that have come to faith in Jesus. They're wearing flip-flops and short cut-off pants. And these are the people who are not Jewish who are having a big prayer shawl and a shofar. And say, oh, we're doing things. It's kind of, kind of funny. I, I found it amusing. I just stood there watching. Because so, 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 so that guy's not even a Russian Jew who came, immigrated. They're kind of easier to read. I mean, that, that's like a Jew, Jew, Jew born in, in Israel. Yeah, him with the flip-flops. Does he wear a prayer shawl? No, he never wear that. He's in the freedom of Jesus. He doesn't need prayer shawl. Oh, it's the other ones. And they even rock a little bit like they thought they were standing by the wailing wall, just rocking a little bit, you know. Funny thing. We don't know the gospel. I read it to you here in case you didn't catch it. There is no distinction between Jew and Greek and Gentile. It's the same Jesus Christ. Whoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And you may call Jesus Yeshua in Hebrew, or you may say Jesus in Spanish, or you can say in my mother tongue, Jesus. Or you can say Jesus, like they do in Prince Edward Island, where Nathan is from. Are you with me? So let me finish this up. Here are the summer summation. Number one, God was, does what he wants, even if we don't agree. <laughs> Sorry, you nice Jewish people. You thought that you had monopoly on this. Well, you know, God's going to do what he wants. He's predestined to include everybody. He's going to cover the whole world. So sorry, stepping on your toes a bit. You know, that may be true for you. You say, well, I, I want to go to heaven. I just don't want so-and-so to be there. You may be surprised. <laughs> I just want to be Jesus and me and my favorite friends. Well, it may be more. You never know. God does what he wants, even if we don't agree. Number two, predestination is not about choosing or rejecting individuals. God predestined the whole world, Jew and Gentile, to be in his non-discriminatory salvation plan. <laughs> and anyone can come to God through Christ. So don't think because somebody in your family, oh, they didn't seem very open. I tried one time. Maybe they were just in a bad mood. Or maybe you were using too many religious cliches that didn't know what you're talking about. So do a different approach. So, 
Here it is. The, the gospel, what God has done for you, his love for you. There's no illustration, there's no picture that can kind of give it justice. But I, I just picked the most delicious apple, fruity, you know, bursting with liquid and flavor. And you bite into it and you can't wait for the next bite. That's the gospel. And I'm inviting you to take a big bite this morning. <laughs> but in that beautiful apple, religion puts in worms, little worms that makes you quail. Well, maybe it's not really everyone. Maybe, 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 maybe it's too late. And so we pull the worms out. Can you see me pulling it out? Here you have an apple. <laughs> Here you have the good news of Jesus Christ. Oh, you know, it's quite a job to really let people know how awesome the gospel is because religion tries its best to contaminate it.